0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, Ronald Reagan was a conservative Republican president, and Tip O'Neill was a liberal Democratic congressman and Speaker of the House. And yet the two were friends really good friends now this didn't mean that they agreed on political issues uh, they would engage in these blistering arguments with each other uh, on one occasion Tip said to Reagan he said you know we're friends but after 6 p.m. so the next time they got together to talk about politics Reagan tapped his watch and he said I'm setting it ahead to 6 p.m. <laughs> alright Well, on March 30th, 1981, President Reagan was shot, seriously injured, and as he recovered in his hospital room, a family came and went, and then finally, they admitted their first non-family visitor. It wasn't Reagan's chief of staff, it wasn't the leader of the Republican Party, it was Tip O'Neill. And according to the story, Tip O'Neill rushed to the president's bedside, he kissed him on the forehead, He dropped to his knees, grasped Reagan's hand, and the two of them recited. These political adversaries recited together the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now friends, can you imagine, can you imagine that kind of a friendship in today's political climate? You know, President Trump gets shot and Nancy Pelosi races to his bedside, plants a kiss on his forehead, drops to her knees, grasps his hand. They recite the, Lord, the uh, Lord is my shepherd together. I don't think so. You know, I don't think either would allow it. I don't think Nancy would go to the hospital. I don't think Trump would let her in, right? But what's even more disheartening is that not only do our political leaders tend to Test each other these days, so do many of their supporters, even when their supporters are Christ followers. I mean, right now, there are probably people listening to me who believe that no good Christian could possibly vote for Donald Trump in the upcoming election. And there are people listening to me right now who probably think that, you know, you couldn't possibly be a good Christian and vote for Joe Biden and his Democrats. So, welcome to week two of a five-part series called Different Together. Different Together, subtitle, learning from one another's strengths. And today, our topic is politics, different together across politics. It's almost like we intentionally scheduled this sermon for a couple of weeks before the election. Well, we actually did because we realized that we're living in a culture where there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of contention out there, even among Christ followers, although according to Jesus, we're supposed to be known, we're supposed to have a reputation as his followers for mutual love and unity. So how can we pull that off while holding diverse political viewpoints? Well, according to a recent study at Stanford University, they would say, well, you can't. you 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 can't be different together because people hold their political views so fiercely ain't going to be no different together listen to the opening line of this article stanford research says research finds that the strength of people's attachment to their political parties surpasses affiliations with their own race religion and other social categories Now, just let that sink in for a moment. People's political identity is more important to them today than their race or their religion or or just about anything else, which means that if I say anything today that you think disses your political party or chosen candidate or paints in a positive light the opposing party or, or candidate, I'm in trouble right you will probably blast me on social media or maybe you'll uh, diss me when your community group gets together to talk about this sermon this week or maybe you'll switch churches and go someplace else just turn to the person next to you right now whether you're at home or in one of our auditoriums and say pastor jim is in trouble go ahead yeah take a look at what somebody sent me a couple of weeks ago texted Kind of says it all, doesn't it? That's me on the right now. You know, after months of dealing with issues raised by COVID and racial unrest and now a political dissension. Well, I have been praying hard, long and hard, about this sermon as others have as well, and so I'm actually looking forward to digging into God's Word together with you. So turn with me to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, and as you're turning, let me ask you You know would you promise that throughout the course of this sermon if you hear something that bugs you instead of allowing a knee-jerk reaction of anger you're going to say god stretch my thinking okay help me to hear something that you know i don't believe that you came to church just to hear everything you're going to agree with so so let's open our hearts to what god wants to say to us get it good three truths about politics from Matthew 22 here's number one Uh, if you haven't turned on your electronic device yet to the outline I encourage you to do so and just jot down some notes if nothing else at least the main points here Uh, point number one about politics Uh, no party gets it totally right no party gets it totally right now if your Bible's open to Matthew 22 let's begin reading at verse 15 Okay, then the Pharisees went out, and they laid plans to trap him, Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you you pay no attention to who they are. Now, just an aside here, all that they just said about Jesus was totally true. But they didn't say it because they were his fans. This was flattery to build them up for the kill. Okay, verse 17. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This interaction happened toward the tail end of Jesus' ministry. So at this point in time, his enemies are trying to get rid of him. They want him killed. So they send a couple of, of groups to ply Jesus with a question, a question that is going to get him in into trouble because there is no correct way to answer the question. The question is, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, if Jesus says no... Then we're just going to get back to the uh, Roman government, the occupying Roman government, that Jesus is citing rebellion. He's going to be in deep weeds. But if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, then he's going to lose the admiration of the local people because the common folks hate the Roman government. So Jesus is in a no-win situation. But I want to set aside the trick question, and I want to take a, a look at the two groups that raise the question. Okay, group one are the, you know, the Pharisees. Verse 15, you could circle Pharisees. They're a religious party, and they hate the Roman government. So they, they can't imagine how anybody could be devoted to God and support the current government okay the other party you hear mentioned or see mentioned in verse 16 it's the Herodians who got their name from King Herod who was you know he was their big shot they were fans of his and he'd been placed into power by the Roman government he was a local ruler placed into power by the Romans and so the Herodians supported the Roman government okay so you've got two completely different parties with two completely different views of government. Sound familiar? So today it's not Pharisees and Herodians, it's Democrats and Republicans. So which is the right party? Which is the party that Christ followers should support? Well, the New York Times asked Dr. Tim Keller to write an article for their newspaper and answer to that question uh, keller if you've never heard of him for uh, several decades he was a pastor in new york city he is recently retired brilliant man bible believing christ honoring church he's written several New York Times bestsellers in defense of the Christian faith and this is why the New York Times came to him and said hey could you write an article for our paper about Christians and politics and so he did and this is the title of his article you're gonna love this how do Christians fit into a two-party system they don't (laughs) they don't now what was Keller's point well he goes on to say in this article that uh, Christians get their sense of right and wrong from God's book, from Scripture. And, and so they look at political parties through the lens of the Bible. And, and they realize as they look at the two political parties that the parties get some things right in accord with God's word and some things wrong. And so Keller says, you know, while you can vote for a particular party, there, there's no way that you could be in 100% agreement with either political party. There's no way you could be gung-ho Republican or gung-ho Democrat. And then, then he says, you know, here are a couple of examples of biblical values that the Democrats own. This is what they get right. And here are a couple of examples where Republicans own biblical values. This is where they get things right. Now, I want to share those examples with you today. Here's my goal here I want you to see that the party you oppose quite possibly gets some things right according to Scripture. And so, so maybe if we understand this about each other's parties, we will be more inclined to be different. Together this election season. You with me? Okay, so let me start. Two biblical values that are often associated with the Democrats. So let's make a chart here. I'll put the Democrats on this side and the Republicans. Democrats on the left. You get it? Republicans? Okay. And two issues here. And I'm going to put down concern for the poor. And I'm gonna put down immigration. Now, please understand, there are more than two issues that the Democrats get right, and more than two that the Republicans, these are just a couple of examples. And, And these are generalizations. So you could be a Republican and be concerned for the poor and immigration. But generally speaking, these are two issues often associated with the Democratic Party. So let's start with concern for the poor. Oh, my goodness, is this a biblical value. You see it throughout Scripture. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Isaiah 58, verse 7, God says that he expects us to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe them. In Job 31, Job says, may God judge me. May God judge me if I have denied the desires of the poor, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, if I've seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the needy without garments, and I did nothing about it. May God judge me. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about how at the end of time, he will separate people into two categories. There will be sheep and goats. What's the difference? it has everything to do Jesus said with whether or not you fed the hungry and clothed the naked and you visited you took care of the sick so concern for the poor is an extremely important biblical value and Democrats seem to get that Now, I'm well aware of the fact that there are Republicans who who would take issue with what I'm saying here because they would say, yeah, concern for the poor, but that's a matter for churches and charities, for individuals to care about. This is not the role of the government. However, if you look at Scripture, you'll see it is the role of the government in part. Okay, in Old Testament times, there were civil laws not religious laws there were governmental laws about uh, how much each person person should set aside to be given to the support of the poor and and there were laws about things like when when you're harvesting your crop be sure that you leave a certain amount of the crop behind for the poor to collect these were civil governmental laws so yeah there's a definite role for churches and charities to play but this is not to deny the role of the government supported with our taxes to come alongside the poor and to help them here's a second biblical value that's most often associated with the democrats immigration and once again it is amazing to see how often this issue pops up in scripture countless times we're to care for the foreigner who who lives in our midst i'll give you one example leviticus 19 verses 33 and 34 says when a foreigner resides among you in your land do not mistreat them the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born love them as yourself love them as yourself for you were foreigners in Egypt and I am the Lord your God in other words you better get this right now again I've heard the objections that have been raised against this value people who say you know I don't mind immigrants coming into this country but they need to come through the proper channels I don't believe in illegal immigration Okay, but what if our country's current policies make it almost impossible to immigrate legally to our country? I mean, please consider these statistics. Besides being in a global pandemic, our world is also suffering from a refugee crisis. Did you know that? There are an estimated 26 million refugees in the world today. These are people who have had to flee their countries because of persecution and many of them, listen friends, many of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ. In 2016, the United States allowed 83,000 immigrants into the country. Four years later, a number was set for 2020, and this number was set at the end of 2019, so it had nothing to do with COVID. Okay, the number dropped to 18,000. That is a 78% drop in the number of immigrants we allow in our country over the past four years. See, the Democrats seem to be attuned to this image this issue of immigration. It is a biblical value. OK, what about Republican values? Let me give you two values that Republicans champion. OK? And again, there are more than two values, but I'm just going to uh, choose two here: uh, traditional marriage and pro-life and i'll reiterate too what i said earlier if you're a democrat it doesn't mean you don't hold these values you may be a christ-following democrat who holds these but let me tease them out for a moment traditional marriage Uh, this is the pattern set forth in scripture in the opening book genesis tells us that marriage was instituted by god as a union between a man and a woman Genesis 2, verses 22 and 24. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's traditional marriage. Th- this is the pattern that Jesus later endorsed. Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. Haven't you read? Jesus replied that at the beginning, the Creator. The Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Republicans support the biblical notion of two distinct uh, genders and of marriage being the union of a man and a woman. They also value pro-life specifically they defend the life of an unborn baby against abortion now please understand pro-life is not limited to this I hear some sometimes critics say well it's nothing more than being anti-abortion well, we're a pro-life church, and for us, that means that we promote adoption and foster care. It means that, that we support uh, unwed mothers at crisis pregnancy centers. It means that we care about babies after they're born and they grow up into, uh, to be young children who have needs. We want to see those needs met. Uh, but for right now, I do want to talk specifically about defending the lives of unborn babies against abortion. Okay, because Scripture speaks to this. Psalm 139, verse 13, says that babies are knit together in their mother's wombs by God himself. God, from the moment of conception, is doing his work, creating a little baby to bear his image. Proverbs 24 verse 11 gives us a mandate for protecting those lives rescue those being led away to death Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. So see this is a justice issue You know we we can't claim to care about social justice if we support the taking of innocent lives when it comes to abortion Republicans get this Now I've heard some arguments against these two values. In fact, I heard recently a so called Christian podcaster disparage these two Republican values that I put on my chart. He called them crotch Christianity. In other words, they're nothing more than what happens at the crotch level. They're nothing more than concerned with with sex because, you know, Christians, they're kind of prudish. And so traditional marriage, it's, you know, nothing more than who gets to have sex with whom. Pro-life, it's nothing more than what's to be done with the product of our sexual relationships. Crotch Christianity. I was incensed when I heard that. Really? This christian podcaster is uh, oblivious to the fact that traditional marriage has to do with the family unit the basic building block of society and god's design for the family i consider that to be pretty important pro-life has to do with oh my goodness it has to do with life versus death you don't get more important than that so four Biblical values, just four that we chose today, two Democrat, two Republican. No party gets it totally right, but both parties get some things very right when they are in sync with biblical values. So what do we do with this? Okay, let let me wrap up this first point. We're spending most of our time today on on this first point. Let me give you four practical applications. Uh, Application number one get your values from the Bible not from a political party get your values from the Bible which means you you got to own the biblical biblical values you come across you know you can't pick and choose here because you belong to this party or or that party you can't say well I'm for immigration but not for traditional marriage or I'm for pro-life but not for concern governmental concern for the poor Okay, if it's a biblical value and you're a follower of Jesus, you got to own that value. And second, vote for candidates who seem to do the best job of championing biblical values. Now, let's be frank. We wish that there were candidates out there who were 100% biblical values, right? And it's almost impossible to find either a party or a candidate who's 100% um, Biblical in their values. so what do you do you got to see how they mix and match you have to go with somebody who is less than the ideal but seems to do the best job in in your mind of mixing and matching those biblical values and if you vote for them and they don't hold a particular biblical value it doesn't free you up from just abdicating, walking walking away from that value, you still have to own it in your life. So if they're not pro-life in the sense of defending the lives of the unborn, you better be pro-life still. And and if they're not pro-concern for the poor, you know, that that doesn't excuse you. If you think they're the best candidate, but they're just kind of weak on that, that, that doesn't excuse you from not owning that value as a follower of Jesus. You with me? third application don't diss christ followers fellow christ followers who vote for an opposing candidate based upon their best understanding of the biblical values see now i'm making a huge assumption here that we are carefully weighing the biblical values but we got to cut each other some slack this is where we're different together this is where we appreciate the fact that the opposing party is not totally villainous all right fourth consider the possibility consider the possibility of a top priority value now what do i mean by that Well, take a look at these four values two democrat two republican should any one of them be at the top of our list of concerns Now, don't misunderstand me here i am not saying that we should be single issue voters i've already made the point that any biblical value needs to be on the radar of a christ follower they're all important but but i think there's a value on this list that deserves our most serious consideration that is maybe even weightier than the others on the list and i believe that pro-life is that top priority value now, you may disagree with me, okay, but let me challenge you to wrestle with what I'm about to say. Okay, don't, don't tune me out until you've heard these, these arguments. Here are a few reasons why I think pro-life should be at the top of our values list. Number one, pro-life is foundational to all the other values we've been considering here. How can we talk about concern for the poor and immigration and traditional marriage if we haven't even protected a person's right to be alive? See, this is basic. You don't get more basic than this. And I would say, yes, we need to be pro-life again in the broader sense that ensures people get a good education and health care and job opportunities and a roof over their heads. But if we've denied them the right to be born, none of that other stuff matters does it number two argument number two why I think this is the the weightiest issue on our list is that pro-life is the only one of the four values we've looked at that is directly related to one of God's top ten imperatives talking about the Ten Commandments there's only one value on this list that can be directly traced to one of the Ten Commandments, and that is a pro-life commandment number six, God prohibits the taking of innocent human life. This is serious business to God. Argument number three, pro-life opposes a heinous reality, and that heinous reality is that 61 million unborn babies have lost their lives since Roe v. Wade became law you you just you just gotta let that number sink in for a moment 61 million now I hear people say things from time to time they'll say well I'm pro-life in the sense that uh, I'm against the death penalty that's what gets my pro-life vote now, I'm not going to argue the right or the wrong of the, of the death penalty, but I'm just going to give you some raw numbers here. Uh, the last year for which we have numbers, okay, death penalty deaths, 22. Abortion deaths, 862,000. Or I'll hear somebody say, well, you know, I'm pro-life in in, in the sense that I oppose guns that people use to murder others. Okay, last year, for which we have numbers, murders by gun, 14,500. Deaths by abortion, 60 times the number of murders by gun, 862,000. Someone says, well, I'm pro-life because I support a candidate who's going to make life better for pregnant women so they won't choose abortion. That is great. I think we should all support that. But even if that works and the number of abortions drops by, what, 10%, 20%, that still means hundreds of thousands of unborn babies killed every year legally in the United States. Friends, we gotta call abortion for the evil it is. Martin Luther King Jr. said, he who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. Yeah, I think pro-life has gotta be a top priority issue. So as you consider who to vote for, please give it the weight it deserves. Now I am not saying so, don't you go out and misrepresent me here I am not saying that you ought to vote for someone just because they're pro-life I mean they may stink at the other value said so don't vote for them just because they're pro-life I, I am simply saying today that I think the pro-life value deserves extra weight as we're putting the mix together and deciding whom to vote for you get it good and by the way there's an excellent book out there about how to weigh the different issues written by a, a pastor in Washington, D.C. Brand new book out there called Before You Vote by David Platt. Uh, by the way, if you're looking for this book, there's four or five books out there called Before You Vote. Get the one by David Platt. He pastors a really large church in Washington, D.C., the political capital of the, the country. A church that's filled with Democrats and Republicans. All right, so very interesting take on things. No party gets it totally right. Number two, no political leader is God. Okay, go back to Matthew 22. The Pharisees and the Herodians, two different parties, have tried to set a trap for Jesus. They've asked him a dangerous, no-win question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Look at Jesus' answer in verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said you hypocrites why are you trying to trap me show me the coin used for paying the tax and they brought him a denarius by the way that was a day's wage for a laborer back then and he asked them whose whose image is this and whose inscription caesar's they replied stop there Tiberius was the Roman Emperor he was the Caesar of the day and he'd had his image stamped on the Roman coins along with an an inscription and the inscription read get this God and high priest okay he had a a healthy self-esteem you might say he thought rather highly of, of himself Emperor worship was in vogue in the first century And in a similar fashion, it's not unusual for us to have an overly inflated view of our favorite political candidates. Now, we would never call them God, but we sometimes promote them as if they alone could save the planet, especially when it comes to presidential candidates. And that leads to one of two responses to people running for this particular office. We either deify them or demonize them. So if it's our candidate we deify them we champion them on social media we get our news from whatever news source seems to favor them we make the case that their position on the issues you know the only positions that will save our country from ruin we aggrandize their strengths we minimize if not explain away their flaws and even christ followers do this even Christ followers do this interesting study back in 2012 just before the 2012 election which was Romney versus Obama okay a poll was taken that indicated that 70% of white evangelicals believe that character determines how well a person will govern it's really really important same survey is taken in 2016 before the national election this time it's Trump uh, versus Clinton 30% of white evangelicals believe that character really matters why the drop I'm not gonna spell it out for you okay but but here's what this illustrates when we deify our political candidate, we tend to overlook their flaws. Both parties do this. We, we put them on such a high pedestal, we can't see their, you know, their feet of clay. Yeah, This is why the Apostle Paul, this is a human tendency, by the way, and it's not just with politics. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21, to people in the church about church leaders, he said, no more boasting about human leaders. Okay, no more I'm for this guy and I'm for that guy. He said, no more of that, Paul said. So we either deify our candidate or we demonize the opposing candidate. Quick survey here. How many of you have read or heard something terrible that's been said about Donald Trump? Come on, every hand. Okay, next question. How many of you have read or heard something terrible that's been said about Joe Biden? Okay, every hand, even if you're watching at home right now. Okay, next question. Don't raise your hand. But here's the question. How many of you have said something nasty about either political candidate? Okay, how many of you have passed on some uh, cartoon that's snarky about Donald Trump or snarky about Joe Biden? How many of you have delighted in a podcast that mocks these candidates? How many of you disdain Joe or disdain Donald? So what's the Christ follower's response response supposed to be to our political leaders? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says we ought to pray for them, not disdain them, pray for them. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, especially for kings and those in authority. The apostle Peter told Christ's followers, 1 Peter 2 verse 17, that they should honor the emperor, which was a pretty amazing directive given the fact that Nero was the emperor. Crazy Nero was the emperor at the time. And Peter says, honor Nero. Let me sum up the second main point that no political leader is God. You know, we need to keep our political leaders in proper perspective. Neither deify them nor demonize them. They all have feet of clay. Every last one of them will come and go. They they will all fail to change things in a permanent way. But we Christ followers, we serve a king who is absolutely righteous and all-powerful and eternal. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's put our trust in Jesus, not in the next president. Historians tell us that in the first century, the common greeting on the street was, Caesar is Lord. So you'd greet someone, Caesar is Lord, and they would respond, yes, Caesar is Lord. Until you ran across one of those Christ followers, and you would say, Caesar is Lord, and they would say, nope, Jesus is Lord. Yes. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Come on. Jesus is Lord. Yes, he is. Here's a third takeaway from Matthew 22 about politics. No earthly kingdom matters most. No earthly kingdom matters most. Back to Matthew 22, one last time. Jesus has been asked the question is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? He asks for a Roman coin with Tiberius' picture on it, holding it up. Jesus says, middle of verse 21, then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. And so they left him and went away. Now let me try and paraphrase Jesus' statement here. He says, you guys are all worked up about a tax. It's got nothing to do with anything more than a little bit of money. And it's going to support a kingdom that is here today and is gone tomorrow. But what you owe God is everything. And his kingdom is both now and eternal. Let let me say to you this election season, friends, do not get caught in the thick of thin things. Do not get caught in the thick of thin things. Several decades ago, David Brinkley was a popular newscaster. I recently read his memoir, And in his memoir, he tells a story how back in the 1950s, he hosted a radio show called America United. And every week, they would discuss a contentious issue. He would bring on four experts, someone from government, someone from business, someone from labor, someone from agriculture. And the goal was to debate this issue until they could come up with a unified conclusion. So he says one one week the issue was and i'm not making this up the issue the hot issue was the color of butter see at this at this point in time there was a bill before congress they they were considering whether or not to allow margarine fake butter companies to supply yellow powder along with their product because back in the day margarine came as a white unseemly, gross-looking block. And so they wanted to give you a pack of yellow powder to mix in with it. And the farmers were saying, no way, you want yellow butter? Get it from the cow, okay? And so this was a hotly debated issue. And Brinkley concludes his story by saying, it's amazing what people were outraged over back then, the color of butter. And then he adds, many of our current outrages will one day seem as foolish. Listen, friends, we make a big deal out of political issues. You know, some of them are, are important. But none of them hold a candle to Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom. And so I would say, go ahead and root for Biden or or for Trump, but save your loudest voice for Jesus Christ. Let people know this election season that you've got a king, and his name is Jesus. Okay, go ahead and give to a political party or to a campaign, but make your most generous giving directed toward the Lord's work, toward the ministry of the church. Go ahead and spend time watching debates and town hall meetings and election results as they roll in on November 3rd. But spend your greatest amount of time in God's Word and in discussion of this book with fellow believers in a community group as you apply it to your life. and Spend time rolling up your sleeves, finding a place to serve the kingdom of Christ. Gather for worship without missing week in, week out. And go ahead and want the best for the U.S. of A, but never forget that the kingdom of Christ is global. It involves bringing the good news of Jesus to people everywhere with whom we are fellow citizens in the kingdom of Christ. And so we pray, your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Is Jesus your king? You know, that's where it starts. Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus as king? If you never have, you can do it right now. You can say, Jesus, I am sorry for my sins, for my waywardness, I've not chosen to follow you, I've put other things as priorities in my life, and today I repent of that, I turn my back on that, and I turn to you. Sorry. Then you say, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. You know, the Bible says that all my sins, have broken a relationship with a holy God and that God is the giver of life and so I've become disconnected from the source of life. That's why the wages of sin, as the Bible says, is death. So thank you, Jesus, for coming to the planet and taking the death I deserve to die. When you died on the cross, you died for me in my place. Thank you. And Jesus, please become the Savior and the King of my life. If you've never prayed that, pray that now from your heart. And God, as we put Jesus on the throne of our lives, may it change the way we address politics. May they become less heated to us, less contentious. May we find it easier to love, especially brothers and sisters who disagree with us on political candidates but are still trying to find where the biblical values come out. Help us to live decidedly different from the culture that we uh, move back into tomorrow, God, and the next day and all the way up to the election. May people see a notable difference in us. May we be able to say it's because we've got a king and he'll always be on the throne and his name is Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.